Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Before we kick off the show, if you're a fan of History Hack, please do what you can to support the show. We completely get that not everyone is able or willing to dig into their pockets. Times are hard. But by dropping a like, subscribing on Twitter and YouTube, and importantly, leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts, you can help the programme grow and reach more people. If you're interested in becoming a supporter, go to patreon.com forward slash history hack, where you'll find perks from secret Facebook groups to early release material. If you just want to leave us a one-off tip, go to co-fee.com forward slash history hack. The links are in the description. And whatever form your kind support takes, know that we are massively grateful. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to History Hack. It's your girl Charlie with you today and I am joined by the fabulous, as always, Beth. How are you doing, Beth? I'm good, Charlie. How are you today? Very good. I'm really excited about this conversation. Who have we got joining us today? Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one as well. As soon as I saw it on the list, I immediately volunteered for this one. So we are joined by the fabulous Simon Jenkins. Uh, Simon is an author of best-selling books such as A Short History of England, A Short History of Europe, um, England's Thousand Best Churches and Thousand Best Houses as well. Uh, he's a former chairman of the National Trust, editor of the Evening Standard and the Times and also a columnist for The Guardian. So Simon, welcome to History Hack. Thank you very much. So first off, the first thing we need to do, Simon, is we need to clear up what exactly exactly is a cathedral? What's the purpose of them and who are they for? Cathedrals were the uh, main buildings of the early Christian church and have been ever since. Uh, it means the seat, the seat of the bishop in this case. Um, and they are what you might call the biggest conceivable churches. Um, they, they, they tend to cover a diocese. They have a large area under their general um, supervision. Um, but really, they're just the most splendid churches there are. Uh, and, and I chose 100 of them in Europe because they were the 100 most splendid churches in Europe. Um, I, I didn't do one or two categories, like I didn't do um, uh, monasteries or, or um, church or college chapels. So they, they are basically the 100 finest churches in Europe, frankly. Fantastic. That must have been fun to research and go round. I don't think I've ever enjoyed a project quite so much as this, apart, <laughs> apart from the other motorways and railway stations I covered. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I mean, I came to the view, which I hold quite strongly, that these, these are probably the most beautiful buildings in Europe. And mm. um, they're certainly the most beautiful old buildings in Europe. Most of them are medieval or earlier. Uh, and, uh, and as such, I just don't think you can, you can if you were to do them all, uh, you'd find a finer uh, hundred places to visit in the, in, in the whole continent. 
Absolutely. And as you just briefly touched on there, obviously the book is called, you know, Europe's 100 Best Cathedrals. And there are places that are, you know, they are, they're fabulous places to visit. So can you just talk us through very quickly, because you do mention it in the in the book, some of the different like architectural styles, because obviously we've got very, very old cathedrals versus more more modern cathedrals, I suppose. Are there any particular features that you consistently see across all cathedrals as a broad spectrum? Well, they're all Christian. Um, <laughs> that's, about, that's, about, that's about all they have in common. Um, but I, I mean, I start with the earliest, uh, which Hagia Sophia um, in, in Istanbul, in what was Constantinople, no longer a cathedral, now a mosque. Um, but it was Justinian's first great cathedral. It's absolutely massive. It's still one of the biggest cathedrals anywhere, even if it is a mosque. Um, I, I then trace through the, the, the Oriental, the Orthodox um, style of cathedral, uh, places like Ravenna and Sicily, where you had a lot of um, East Mediterranean um, religion being transported west. Then, of course, the West and Rome took over. And then you get the great styles. You get the Romanesque style, uh, the rounded arch, the, the, the great sort of thumping great Durham Cathedral, uh, places like that. Um, then you have the Gothic Revolution in Paris in the, in, the, uh, in the late 12th century, early 13th century, when you had this stupefying obsession with verticality. And you've got great buildings like Chartres and Beauvais and Amiens, Tours. Uh, um, and that lasted right through the Middle Ages and culminating in this extraordinary flowering called Flamboyant, when you had um, I mean, nothing but sensation, nothing short of sensational cathedrals in, in Seville, uh, Burgos, Leon in, in Spain, uh, almost obscene in their size. Um, and then it all, it all sort of collapsed. Uh, Renaissance, the Reformation, uh, you had a brief flowering of classicism in places like St. Peter's, Rome. But really, the cathedral came to an end in the 16th century. So most of the hundred are, are of that period. I've got one or two modern ones. Um, my favourite modern one is still not finished. It's um, Sagrada Familia in Barcelona <laughs> by Antonio Gaudi, which is an absolutely sensational Gothic work. It's not technically a cathedral, I have to say. It's a basilica. But um, I don't think I've been so impressed by any church anywhere as, in, as, as, as by that one. Oh, They've only been working on it 139 years. And I only know that because they started it exactly 100 years before I was born. So I'll always know how old that is. <laughs> well, you, you can measure out your life in, 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 um, in pinnacles on, on holy family <laughs> Do you think they'll have it done in my lifetime? Oh, it's almost done. It's almost done. Uh, they, they've, it's most, when I first saw it, it was a derelict site. Um, this was quite a long while ago. Um, about about 20 or 30 years ago, they made a real push to finish it. And it's, it's now a huge tourist attraction. You can hardly get in. Uh, you have to queue and time ticket and so on. Um, uh, it's, it's simply breathtaking, but the interior is now finished. So you, you, it's finished last year. Um, you can go and see that already. They haven't, they've got about three more towers to build, which is going to be the tallest in Europe. Oh. Everyone's obsessed like Dubai with tall towers. <laughs> Gosh, I think I was there about 15 years ago, so I'd, I'd love to go and go and see it now it's done. Um, one of one of my favourites that I can get to fairly locally is St Paul's. And I know that this was a, a controversial build at the time for being perhaps slightly Romish in its appearance. Have different denominations of Christianity and maybe national differences as well from country to country. Have these had any influences on the style and construction of the cathedrals you, you talk about? Oh, yes, very much so. Uh, the, 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 two, the, the fascinating thing about these cathedrals is they, they tell you the story of Europe. 
Uh, it, there are two stories. One story is, is religious, uh, the evolution of the Christian church through the, um, through the, 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 the sort of Roman period, um, through the Middle Ages to the Reformation. The Reformation upheaved the whole thing. The Counter-Reformation fought back. Uh, and now you have a sort of an atheist age when people go to cathedrals because they find them very beautiful. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's actually rather interesting to study the style. And of course, a lot of the things that they did with churches was, were, were, were upset in the Reformation. I mean, the Scandinavian cathedrals are, as you might expect, very ascetic. They look like sort of Scandinavian coffee bars. Um, and uh, and um, they're very simple. They're very beautiful. I, I rather fell in love with them in Norway, Sweden and Denmark. Um, uh, you, you get uh, the phenomenon in Spain, of course, where the Counter-Reformation and the upsurge of a sort of Baroque, uh, Rococo, Plateresque style um, completely changed Gothic cathedrals into something which many people, I mean, I at first did find them very hard to take. Um, I mean, Burgos Cathedral, I tell you, there, there are so many bloodthirsty crucifixes and corpses in Burgos <laughs> Cathedral. You need a stiff drink when you come out. So they're, 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 you're right. Are, there's a change of style in all of them. That, that, that I have to say makes them very diff, uh, makes them very exciting because every cathedral is telling usually two or three stories. Mm. Absolutely, and I think it, it's that the, the the different styles of architecture as well. You know, if you think of like somewhere like St Basil's compared to, as you say, you know Westminster Abbey or St Paul's, it's just very it's very very different, isn't it? Really gives you a flavour for the development of different cultures. I think in Europe, um, and obviously. We've talked, uh, there's the physical elements of the building of cathedral, what is a cathedral, you know, the different styles of architecture. But you do mention in your book that there's more to cathedrals than just the architecture and how you build it. You've described Europe's cathedrals as, as its finest works, works of art. So what do you think makes a cathedral more than just a building? What makes it a piece of artwork? What makes it the, the place? Why do people still go and visit them, I suppose, as well as a, an additional question to that, really? I mean, that, that, that is the question. Um, the, 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 part of the answer is a fact. Uh, parish churches are in severe decline, I mean, right across Europe. People are not going to um, churches anymore in the sense in which they once did. Uh, since, since 2000 to 22 years, uh, parish church attendance has gone down by about a third, which is frankly disastrous. Um, cathedral worship, attendance at cathedral services has gone up by a third over that same period. And uh, no one can really explain why. I mean, sociologists and psychologists have tried to answer your question, which is a very good question. I mean, what is it about these places? And I try in the introduction to answer it. Um, and I say, on the one hand, um, I think there is still an appeal to a certain sort of religious sentiment, which is not uh, corporate. It's not communitarian. No one in a cathedral comes up and shakes you by the hand or hugs you or does any of those, those things. Um, they leave you alone. And it's this absence of a, of a necessary commitment, um, a feeling that you're going somewhere very, very beautiful. And that's another part of the answer to your question. Very beautiful, where beautiful music is sometimes playing, where lovely things can be seen, um, where you're on your own. Um, someone calls it pillar worship. You can hide behind the pillar so the preacher can't see you not praying. Um, this is as basic as that. But, but I think it is bound up in this combination of um, a place that, I mean, I'm, I'm not a practicing Christian, but I know a, a place that other people have been deeply moved by throughout history. I and mean, I do find that moving. A place that expresses the history of its community in the widest sense, often its nation. Uh, cathedrals like, like Prague and Vienna, they are Hungary and Austria in the most extraordinary sense. 
um, uh, the great tombs, all these works of sculpture and art. I mean, you can sit surrounded by them, drink it all in on your own. You're not interrupted by anybody. And I think it's this sense of personal communication with a great work of art that is the key to the answer to your question. I think there's something about going into a cathedral, isn't there? You know, obviously, we, we've got this book full of them. And Charlie said in St. Paul's, like, I love them. Um, Amion Cathedral and it's just the I think it's the space and as you say you feel quite I think you feel quite small and as you say it's it's your own personal interpretation I suppose of, of the space rather than a, a larger interpretation. I, I think I mean a version of what you just said is is, is I think when I'm going to a church someone's about to tell me something, mm. or something I don't really want to hear. Um, <laughs> I go to a cathedral I'm on my own uh, it's it's me and the church and um, and it's that it's that I don't know, it's, I think it's that sense of of, of a personal relationship with, with with a great work of art. And I very rarely gasp when I go into a church. I quite often gasp through these cathedrals. Mm. I, mean, um, I mean, not just Sagrada Familia, but um, Seville. Um, I mean, a lot of them. You just gasp and you say, "Good heavens!" Um, and uh, and analyzing that good heavens is is, is is the key to appreciating a cathedral. I think. I guess part of that was the intention when they were built. It's that that concept of putting the glory of God into a population that may have been may have been illiterate, may not have, or may not have had access to the Bible in their own language. It's you walk into this building and it's so much bigger than you, and it's beautiful. And like you say, whether they're whether they're giving you the full on here, look at these scary crucifixes or you're getting the music and the, the incense and the gold and the light. Mm. It's, it's a very powerful thing. And it's still, even if, even if that's not your upbringing and it's not your, and you're not a religious person, you can still feel that intent when you walk into these spaces. Well, I mean, people always say, what's your favorite cathedral? And I, I say, they all are. Um, it doesn't <laughs> help. Um, so I've decided to answer the question. <laughs> um, uh, if you walk into Seville Cathedral, which is probably the grandest and greatest, most sort of ostentatious of cathedrals, um, the original instruction from the canons of Seville to the um, master masons who built the great vault, the 15th century vault in Seville. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Cathedral was build so that men will think us mad. Mm. And I always think that sums up a cathedral. I mean, these were mad structures. They were stupefyingly expensive. I mean, nothing today. I mean, no uh, HS2 or anything <laughs> comes near these cathedrals. Um, th th they, they must have impoverished their, their communities for, for hundreds of years to build them. And people would th really thought them mad. Um, they, of course, thought we're, we're honouring God. I mean, this is the altar of the spirit of God and so on. But there is about these cathedrals, particularly to someone who, who does not see God in them? I mean, people of profound Christians find no problem with this 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 um, this sensation. I just find it a sensation, <laughs> and I think it was that it was it was the desire to be thought in some sense um, out of this world. Mm. That's wonderful. You must have 
um, come across some great anecdotes while you were traveling Europe and looking at all these cathedrals. Would you tell us maybe a, another of the interesting stories that, that came up in the process of researching this book? Well, I, um, I'm one of my, <laughs> Beauvais, I don't know if you know Beauvais Cathedral outside Paris. Um, they were, it's quite a small little village, but they had a lot of money. And they were obsessed with building the tallest vault in Europe. Um, and they just instructed every time the, the builders came along, so because as far as we can go, they said, yeah, another, another five meters or something. And they built this colossal choir. It's still there, surrounded by the most amazing flying buttresses. You see the church from the outside. It looks like a vast piece of medieval scaffolding. Uh, they then built a tower, which was the tallest tower in Europe. Um, and it was a completely mad uh, project. Um, this thing, of course, lasted about 20 years. And then one, one Sunday started rumbling. Everyone panicked and raced out and the whole thing collapsed. Oh, no. but the collapse was only about half the tower and they had to bring down the rest of it before they could rebuild any of it, uh, which they have not, now, they've not since done. But bringing it down was difficult. So they went to the local prison. There's a prisoner in there about to be hanged. And they said to him, tell you what, we, we won't hang you. We'll ask you to take down the tower of our church. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, if, if you fall off, well, there we are. It's better than being hanged. Um, but if you do it, you'll be let off. Um, he, he actually fell off um, in doing it, but survived and lived to tell the tale. I mean, they're full of those little, little, little stories. The, the loveliest, I must say, is, is a cathedral in... in um, in France, on the, in the Pyrenees, the French side of the Pyrenees, called Saint-Bertrand de Cominges. It is absolute paradise. It's a, quite a small cathedral. Um, in fact, the, the, the bishop thought it was so small, he built inside it a choir um, for his personal use, which filled almost the entire nave. Um, but um, outside the cathedral is the cloister. The cloister is on the top of a hill. The whole thing is on the top of a hill. Uh, and one side of it, the cloister, as you know, is surrounded by four walls, basically. But the, the, uh, the, the western wall looked out over a valley to the Pyrenees. And from it, you see the entire horizon of the Pyrenees, which for most of the pilgrims going to that cathedral must have been the first time they ever saw mountains, let alone snow on mountains. Uh, they took down the wall. Uh, you have the, the wonderful Romanesque um, uh, colonnade of, of one side of the, of, the, of, of, the, uh, of the cloister. And you can stand there and you look out over this valley. And I've never seen a valley quite like it. It's entirely um, green. There's no road, no human being, no, no farm, nothing. It's a green valley um, with a few cows and some doves. Uh, and beyond it is the Pyrenees. You're looking at something which I think you'd have seen since the Middle Ages. Yeah. And it's exactly what millions of pilgrims would have seen. And having seen it, I think to myself, why do they go an inch further? I mean, there was, there was no need to go to Santiago de Compostela. They found paradise. And you can see it now. It's, it's, it's there. Where you... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sounds fabulous. And that's another one to add to the, add to the list again. Yeah. Um, I, 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 obviously, I've got your book and I have read through it. And, and I've, I loved reading this book. You know, this is completely in my wheelhouse. I love a good cathedral and, and so on. And interestingly, quite near the beginning of your book, you have a page which you've called the 25 best um we, and then you've split them into two further categories where some of them have got five fleur-de-lis and some of them have got four fleur-de-lis which I think is I love the use of the fleur-de-lis to, to, to define them <laughs> um so firstly why are these 25 best what what makes them the best what criteria did you use and which and so yeah so which why why these 25 because there is quite a mix of cathedrals in this 25 I can't answer your question. <laughs> um, I mean, they were the, I just thought they were the ones that most took my fancy. There's mm. absolutely no objectivity to that list at all. Um, I did a book um, about uh, three years ago or, or more about uh, English cathedrals, just English, all, all English cathedrals. Mm. And uh, I, I'm afraid I'm not a great fan of stars or Fleur de Lille, whatever they are, but publishers love them. Um, <laughs> And uh, so do you in asking the question. <laughs> um, so I decided I had to come up with them. Um, and it, it's the most controversial thing you can do because everybody always argues about the stars. But, um, but no, they, they were the ones that I just found the most fascinating. Uh, in the case of England, um, I forget which ones I, I've starred in England, but the, the top ones for me were, the, were, the, were, the, were the, what I call the three graces, Lincoln, Ely and Wells. Uh, and mm. to me, they just are in the round, the most moving, the most fascinating, the most stimulating of the English cathedrals. Um, uh, I've got into terrible trouble because in, in London, I compare St. Paul's and Westminster, which, which are both in this book. Mm. Um, I'm not a great fan of St. Paul's because I find classical just a little staid and boring, whereas Gothic still moves me completely. So That's Westminster, which is Gothic and crazy and funky and full of junk and mess, and like, <laughs> a, like an old attic. Um, absolutely entrancing. St. Paul's, I feel it's full of pompous generals and politicians. <laughs> that, 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 those are the sorts of, of completely subjective criteria I used in, in trying to decide. But I, I did want to give people some sort of guidance as to if they, if, they, if they can't go everywhere, which are the ones you really must see before you die. Yeah. No. So, so in your view, these 25, if you have to see only 25, it's these 25? Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a good definition. I mean, I think I've seen, I've been to quite a few of those 25 and I think, I think I agree with you. So I agree with you so far. There's still some left to say on this 25. Um, but yeah, I agree. I agree with the assessment of the 25. Definitely. Excellent. I love that you, that you acknowledge that it is completely subjective because uh, my, my family are from Ely. So of course, Ely Cathedral has a big, big place in my heart so big that a few weeks ago when my husband said that he preferred St Albans I made him sleep in the spare room for a week but um in terms of just 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 make him sleep in Neely for a week (laughs) I know just just make him appreciate how beautiful it is I was there the other day and it's just it's absolutely stunning um for when you were coming up with this list of 25 
Was there a number 26 for you that you just you you wanted to include in there, but you you couldn't, but you well, love I, I, have, it's, I have it's I'm it's not in front of me, so I can't, I can't really answer. I mean, I'm sure the answer is yes. I mean, this is pretty arbitrary. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I, in fact, another problem was every time I went to a cathedral for a second time, I tended to change my mind, either, <laughs> either for or against it. It is completely arbitrary and subjective, and I, I wouldn't really get one about it much. Um, uh, Ely, on the other hand, uh, Ely, on the, I mean, almost all the, 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 the I mean, Ely and Wells, um, and to a certain extent Lincoln, are not perfect, they're imperfect. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, in Wells, they never completed the towers um, with the spires on, on the West Front. They haven't they haven't restored the statues, which I object to very strongly. I'm, I'm a fanatical restorer. Um, but there's so much in Wells to delight the eye. Uh, and the same applies in Ely, where you know, half, half the West facade fell down. Um, and, uh, and yet the, the, the crossing at Ely, I think, is the most splendid place almost in any cathedral anywhere. Mm. And I'm told, I'm told by friends of a certain age, if you lie on your back under the crossing at Ely and look up, there's great spinning vaults that go up into the lantern. Take a drop of LSD and wait. <laughs> <laughs> I was about, I was literally, the words were on the, the tip of my tongue, Simon. I was about to say, oh, every school child in Cambridge has, has done that because I thought you were just going to say lie under and look up, but not with the LSD. That sounds like... Um... Oh, I, I, I didn't say it. <laughs> That sounds like a like something to look forward to. Um, I'm thinking about you know, one of one of the sort of biggest cathedrals, and one of the, the things that we've watched happen in recent years was um, Notre Dame catching fire. Mm-hmm. And in in our, our lifetimes, we've seen obviously York Minster catch fire as well. And I'm guessing this is always a threat. There is always a threat to a physical building like a cathedral, be it from accidental damage or from, from warfare or you, things can get damaged. Um, have, have we seen much evolution in, in some of your top cathedrals? And is there any sort of repairs that you think are brilliant or any that are really terrible? Well, I mean, it, 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 it almost goes back to your sort of stories. I mean, you, you mentioned the ones that have been um, partly destroyed in some way. Um, uh, I mean, the, the, the most amazing is all these hundred cathedrals are in really very good shape. I mean, mm. people, we look after these buildings and we don't look after churches very well, but we do look after buildings. They are phenomenally popular. People go on pilgrimages to them in every sense. So um, the cathedrals are, you know, they're, they're, they're probably in better condition now than they have been since the Middle Ages, um, possibly even more so. Um, uh, and when something happens, like happened in Notre Dame, in fact, uh, the damage in Notre Dame is almost entirely to nineteenth um, century replacements in Notre Dame, particularly in the roof and uh, and, and, the, and the famous flesh. And they can all be rest- all they can all be restored. And to a medievalist, um, restoring a cathedral is just putting it back like it was. It's not really restored at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but I, mean, I I think the most extraordinary case I came across was Reims Cathedral, Reims, if you want to call it the French way, um, outside Paris. Um, where the Germans in, in 1914 to 18 basically just bombed it, bombed it to bits. I mean, they wanted to destroy it, to demoralise the French. I mean, can you imagine? Mm. Uh, I may say we did that to German cathedrals in the, war, the Second World War. But, um, but, but all that was left in, in 1918 at Reims Cathedral were the four walls. And uh, an architect, a young architect, and his wife, after the war, was so shattered, they, they bought a flat opposite the west front of Reims Cathedral, and he spent the rest of his life restoring it. 
Mm. He got money from the Rockefellers in America. He got labor from German prisoners of war. Um, he got craftsmen who could recarve all the Gothic statues. You go to Reims Cathedral now, you cannot believe it's not, it's not 14th century. Uh, and that's an example of what, what um, utter commitment can do to restore these great works of art. They can be restored. Mm. And I, I, my, my, at the end of the introduction, that's a great creed occur because um, I find the failure to restore statuary, and statuary was a very important part of, of a Gothic cathedral. It told the story of the cathedral, it told the story of the Bible, it told the story of worship. And we have not put them back because they're eroded. And some conservation cult believes you should conserve as found, you shouldn't restore. Mm. And the West Front of Exeter Cathedral, the West Front of, of, um, of, of Wells Cathedral, really should be restored. The French would have done it 40 years ago, and we just haven't. And the, the other thing I'm obsessed with, again, you see in the book, um, is, 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 is Gothic colour. I mean, Gothic Cathedral mm. was covered in colour. Yeah. Uh, new laser technology enables us to see these cathedrals as they were seen in the in the in the, in the 14th 15th centuries and they are, they make you gasp they look like fairgrounds <laughs> and they were bright bright colored and so exciting and i've got a picture of Amiens cathedral uh, now lit by a company called Chroma it is sensational i spent half an hour watching this show as this cathedral was sort of dancing in front of my eyes wow. that's how the middle ages would have wanted it not you know buff colored <laughs> yeah and so obviously i know you mentioned earlier you said that just to wrap things up you said you don't really have a favorite cathedral but if there is only one that anyone should visit and i know you said that might change on you know which day we ask you but if today if there's only one cathedral that someone should visit which one is it Oh, come on now. Um, I mean, <laughs> nearest, the nearest one to where they live, I suppose. <laughs> um, I suppose the, the ones that sort of slightly blew my mind. Um, th th there was, there was um, and I mentioned one or two of them. Uh, undoubtedly, um, th th my three in England are among the best in Europe, um, e e Ely Wells and, 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 and Lincoln. Um, uh, each of them have got something really special inside. Um, uh, I... I do regard St. Mark's Venice as one of the great cathedrals. Mm. It's, it's a totally alien culture. Um, it's, 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 it's a half oriental. Um, the, 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 the decoration is a mosaic, but it's, the interior of it is like walking into a crock of gold. It's the most extraordinary wow. experience. Yeah. And you get the same in many ways in, in, in Seville, um, where you have, you have this, this, about three cathedrals in one. Everywhere you turn, there's a sort of new cathedral. Uh, and then I've been Cordoba. I mean, Cordoba to many people is, is the most wonderful cathedral because it's it's a it's a mosque uh, into which a cathedral has been plonked. I mean, just literally lowered down into the middle of it. So you've got these wonderful um, curved Moorish arches on all sides, and then suddenly you come across a great Gothic structure. Uh, I, and, and St Basil's. You mentioned St Basil's earlier. I mean, I thought St Basil's was a joke when I first saw it. <laughs> it just it grows on you mm. to see it in the snow um, and to know that it's dedicated to the holy fool I mean, extraordinary who is the holy fool um, uh, and, and the whole concept of the fool Ivan is Ivan the Terrible's holy fool and this yeah. man was, 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 he had, he was the only person who could answer him back and he had a, a ability to make him laugh and cry um, and yet he survived. And in the end, having a terrible dedicated uh, cathedral to him. I mean, these stories are just so, so fascinating. And they are the story of the cathedral. Mm, absolutely. I suppose as well, in a way, they are the history of 
it's the history of Europe still present with us, isn't it? You know, it's we could see mm. the past, you know, the Middle Ages and so on. We still see it; it's still very much present with us. Um, so, thank you so much, Simon, for joining us this afternoon. We've I've had a great time. I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed this book. So, yep, Simon Jenkins, Europe's hundred best cathedrals, some of the best pictures of cathedrals I've ever seen in this book. So. If you're even slightly interested, definitely go and get it and get yourself to a local cathedral. So thank you very much, Simon. And, thank you uh, very much indeed. I much enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you all, from all of us at History Hack. Hello, folks. Zach again here. As you know, we love bringing you these podcasts, but each episode has a huge investment of time behind it. For every hour of showtime, there's often a good four or five or six hours of work that's going in behind the scenes. We want to bring you more content, video content even, but as reality has hit and the need to earn a living has returned, we just haven't been able to do that. That's where you come in. Your support doesn't need to be financial. You can follow us on Twitter at hack underscore history. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube. Even simple likes, shares and retweets make a huge difference in widening our reach beyond the small army of you who tune in. And if you love the show, leave a review. If all our listeners were able to find the two minutes to do that, it would massively increase our reach. Of course, we totally get that times are hard and money is tight. If you can spare something and want to, there are different ways that you can help. If you want to become a regular supporter, check out patreon.com forward slash history hack. There are all kinds of perks across different levels of support, with prices starting at £3 a month. If you just want to send us a one-off tip, then visit co-fee.com forward slash history hack. The links are in the description to this episode. But importantly, also have a think about supporting our listeners. The hour they spend with us is a minuscule fraction of the time that they spend researching and writing their books. With that in mind, we set up the History Hack bookstore, where you can support both them and us instead of funding Jeff Bezos's next trip into space, which is what pretty much happens when you buy via Amazon. Again, the link is in the description, and we have a huge back catalogue of titles written by our guests. When you buy via uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack, we get a percentage, and so do independent booksellers. Whatever form your support takes, we massively appreciate it. So from Alex, Boney and me, and the rest of your down-the-pub regulars, thank you, and have a great day. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.